heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Well, at best, you could say that America is compromised and in a very serious way. We have a problem with a leadership that seems to want to do its own thing. We have come to the point where we the people are no longer in charge of the land that we love, but rather what we are seeing is an authoritarian party that seems to want to become a dictatorship. They don't want to represent the people, but rather they want to control the people. They want us under our thumb and they want us to kneel before them and obey their every command. We are in a fix right now. We are really in a bind. And let's just be honest. Our nation right now is under attack by a government that now betrays our own constitution, which raises the question, does this actually call for some kind of a second amendment action? I mean, we have it, right? But is it even possible? Well, some say yes, some adamantly say no way. And some say maybe. Today, you're going to hear two sides of the debate, or maybe even three. You're listening to Malcolm at 8, the voice of a nation. The show does air at 8 p.m. Eastern time each weekday with an encore at 8 a.m. the following day. Today's show is going to be co-hosted by two members of the voice of a nation team, me, Dr. Steve LaTulip, and Wallace Garneau, my worthy compatriot. The fearless one, Malcolm, is actually taking a very well-deserved break. And let me tell you, this guy works nonstop. He has been an incredible patriot, a diehard from the get-go. And perhaps at some of our prompting, he is finally agreeing to take a little breather. And uh, that's okay, because let me tell you, we've got plenty of fire and fury for you today. You're going to enjoy the discussion that we will have as we seek to simply fight back against the horrible injustices that now wreak havoc in our nation by a government that has gone bad. Well, before we get to it, remember that you can get the articles and the podcasts and all the pertinent news at americaoutloud.news, that's .n-e-w-s. Go there for the unfiltered, uncensored truth, at least as best can be put forth by those who wholeheartedly love America. And do visit americaoutloud.shop for the latest in health and product innovations, and do use the OutLoud code to get special discounts for our America Out Loud family. Let me tell you, we appreciate you tuning in and spreading the messages that we bring to you. 
And we do ask each of you that you please share this far and wide. Bring our stories to other people so that they will at least understand the issues and thereby hopefully make a wise choice to just stand up and do the right thing. Well, shall we get to it? I am going to invite uh, Wally Garneau to offer a few words of his own opinion on the Second Amendment. And the question before us today is, is the Second Amendment just vintage memorabilia or is it necessary security to maintain a free America? Wally, what say you? Well, thank you, Steve. And I actually want to look at three different subsections uh, in answering that question. The first one is the purpose of the Second Amendment. What was it written for and what, why does it exist? Uh, the next is the justification for uh, potentially using it. I do think we're justified, so I want to talk about why a little bit. And then finally, to answer the question directly, I want to talk about why this has to be done by state governments. I don't believe it can be done without them, by just we the people. Uh, we'll start with the purpose of the Second Amendment. Most people think the Second Amendment was written because people like to own guns and they want to defend themselves from crime or, or whatever. But that's not the case at all. Uh, the real reason it was, it was created was as a compromise between the two political parties that founded the, 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 the wrote the Constitution or passed the Constitution. Uh, and those parties were the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. The Federalists believed that we needed to have a strong federal government with a strong standing army to protect us against primarily the British. Uh, and they had good cause to believe that. We had just fought the Revolutionary War against the British, and uh, we were about to go fight the War of 1812 also against the British. So they had good cause to think that the British were a problem. Uh, and they knew that going forward, even if the British were not a problem forever, other countries would eventually be problems too. So they felt we needed to have a strong federal army. The anti-federalists did not want a standing federal army because they viewed it as a tool that the federal government could use to subjugate the states uh, and through the states to subjugate the people. So what the anti-federalists wanted was armies to exist at the state level, and then the federal government could ask for the armies uh, in, in an event of war. What they did is they compromised, and they decided to go ahead and allow the federalists to have a strong standing permanent army, professional army, but in return, they wanted to have a means to overthrow it. So if the government became tyrannical and began to oppress the people of the United States, began to act like King George, they just thrown off you know, a few, just a little over a decade earlier, they wanted the ability to overthrow that government. So it had nothing to do with hunting or self-defense. There were, those were both considered important, of course. A lot of people hunted and self-defense is something we have a God-given right to, to do. Uh, but that wasn't the reason of the Second Amendment. It was clearly created to allow the people to prevent the government from becoming tyrannical and to overthrow the government if it did. Uh, why are we justified for using it? Well, if you remember, Hillary Clinton had a boardroom speech that she gave the partners at Goldman Sachs, in which she said that we needed to kind of merge uh, corporate interests, banking interests, the media and the government all in one kind of like a boardroom with her at the, at the top as the chairman of the board, and that this group would run the country together. Each group within that, the government particularly, would do as it's told by that board. And while we would not be voting for the people on the board, uh, we would have the appearance of a representative government, even though in reality it would no longer be a representative government. It would just be this board of, of oligarchs that would be calling all the shots. Now, of course, she was defeated in the election of 2016, but it would appear that that board came together anyway 
and that it all worked together to undermine the Trump presidency. You know, all of the all of the lies about Trump, uh, Russian collusion, all of this that was all brought up by this by this this board. Uh, Time magazine after 2020, when Trump lost the next election, came out with a with a really interesting article called "Well-Funded Cabal" that openly admitted to having thrown the 2020 election. Now, they didn't talk about election fraud. They talked about everything else that was done to suppress information that would be damaging to Biden or helpful to Trump, uh, changing Google searches. Google believed they probably switched about 16 million votes. So you know, doing th- things like that in order to predetermine the outcome of the election before votes were even cast. A lot of people, of course, believe that there was election rigging too, even in terms of the ballots themselves and what have you. That may be, but that's not what the Time magazine was about. The Time magazine article uh, was about everything else that was done prior to the election to to, to predetermine the results. So I see all of this, and I think this is not really a representative government. Then we have executive orders making ESG and DEI the primary focus of every federal agency. We have the government now outsourcing regulatory oversight and policymaking to unions, professional organizations, universities, media houses, all with a Democrat tilt. We're becoming a one-party state. Uh, The Biden administration has made it perfectly clear that he is going to utilize every agency at his disposal in the federal government and get out the vote campaigns, and that he's going to part, he's going to to partner with left-leaning organizations only in doing that. So now not only does Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis have to win a primary and then win a general election against Joe Biden, an incumbent, but they have to win it also against the full weight and power of the federal government, which is not going to let them win. So we are in in a post-constitutional era. We are no longer in a representative republic. We are no longer in republic at all. Our government is is, uh, completely shit-canned the Constitution. And so, yeah, we are justified uh, according to the Declaration of Independence. And I think in the hearts and minds of patriots from sea to shining sea, we are totally justified. And I tell Democrats that I have friends and family members this all the time. You don't want insurrections. Stop justifying them. Uh, but I don't think that an insurrection by the people is, is, is feasible. When you consider the NSA having the monitoring capabilities that it has, it monitors everything. If you send a phone call, make a phone call, if you send a text message, if you make a Google search, if you buy something with a credit card, if you buy anything online, if you make a social media post, if you comment on a social media post, anything you do, they're watching. They have access to all of that, and they have computers. They'll begin using AI soon to help them, looking for keywords, looking for phrases, looking for anybody who may be dangerous, and then they can take they can take cumulative actions uh, against those people. Uh, the FBI is illegally accessing this data literally millions of times since Joe Biden took office. They've openly admitted that. They said, well, we'll make changes, but they're not making changes. They're still doing it. So uh, the Fourth Amendment just been completely, completely torched. Uh, the federal government can round up the leadership of, of any political organization, should it ever want to, faster than such organizations can be formed. So that really puts makes, makes it difficult for a grassroots organization to do anything. States, however, have the power of nullification. And should they decide to use it in a larger scale, they are using it now, as we can discuss a little bit later. But should they decide to use it on a larger scale, uh, then the Second Amendment could be used to help protect the states from the federal government should the federal government decide that it wanted to uh, try to put down the nullification of laws with the use of force. 
So I think that covers it, you know, the justification for the uprising, what the Second Amendment is for, which is to provide the ability to have an uprising, and why that uprising really shouldn't occur. What needs to occur instead is the states reasserting their primacy and their power within the, the federalist system. And then uh, we, the people, can help the states with that should the federal government try to intervene. Okay, so uh, that's a pretty good summary of the Second Amendment purpose. And uh, you're saying, Wally, that we do have justification for an uprising. uh, But basically, what I'm hearing is that we are in a post-constitutional era, meaning that we have shelved the Constitution, meaning that it bears no further weight. But at the same time, I think I'm hearing you say uh, that we also need to keep uh, bearing arms. Uh, but um, this is what we want to get into today. So I think um, before I add any commentary to it, before we get into our discussion, let me just have a few words, if I may, and um, just express a few thoughts for our listeners, because I, I want them to hear um kind of some ideas. Uh, I don't think we we disagree in any great length on certain things, uh, but there are certainly some points that I would take exception to, and I believe you would take exception to a few of my points. And this is the importance uh, for our listeners that they really understand what we are up against. So here are my thoughts on whether or not we really do have a Second Amendment, which is vintage memorabilia or Uh, is it really necessary to our security as a free state? Well, first of all, the founders in their wisdom did see it fit uh, in their uh, their minds to write the Bill of Rights and incorporate that into the Constitution as the first 10 amendments. And as you said, Wallace, this was uh, for a balance of power between the feds and the states. And frankly, I think it was an exceptionally good idea. The more we can balance power, the better off. Briefly summarizing, when you look at the Bill of Rights, of course, the First and Second Amendment are just extremely powerful. The First Amendment declares that we have free exercise of religion, free speech and press, the right to peaceably assemble, and to petition our government for a redress of grievances. But... Do we actually have those? Well, let's go further. We have a Second Amendment, which specifically states a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the rights of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, are these gone? Do we, and do we have a Second Amendment scenario right now? Yes, absolutely, beyond any doubt. And I think, Wallace, you do agree with that. Uh, But the First Amendment, whatever you want to say about it, it, we know that it is severely compromised. Christian persecution is rising. We do not have freedom of religion uh, without retribution in America any longer. We have been massively censored of our free speech, our free press. We are given the right to peacefully assemble, but that is threatened, right, by a government-sponsored violence. I mean, at every you try to peacefully assemble in this day, and you're going to get uh, hit with Antifa, BLM, or the likes of those types who say there will be no peace if you don't come to our way of thinking. And then try, if you dare, to redress your grievances against your government, because what it's going to do 
is make you a political hostage. And we saw that in the January 6th debacle. So in theory, the Second Amendment is supposed to guarantee the First Amendment. But if what Wallace is saying is true, that we are in a post-constitutional era, by definition, we are saying that the Constitution is nullified. It no longer is valid. It bears no weight. Is this what we are up against? Well, let's, let's evaluate that a little bit. Because in reality, we really have dropped the ball. We have neglected to form a well-regulated militia in all 50 states, in any of the states. We, the people, have been derelict of duty in that regard. But let's remember one thing. We also are armed to the hilt more than ever. And so the question is, what do we do now? Well, I think we need to answer three questions. First of all, how has an armed citizenry supported American liberty? I mean, historically, and I mean now, has it done anything? And what actually happens, the next question, what happens if they disarm us? And I think we need to remember Khmer Rouge as an example of a disarmed citizenry. And finally, shall we challenge the wisdom of our founders as if they we're lacking something in their knowledge and wisdom and understanding of human nature. And shall we just call the Second Amendment memorabilia something for historical um, recollection having no value today? Well, let's say this. Gun ownership defines America. Everybody knows that. That is why they want you to believe it cannot be done. Forget the Second Amendment. We heard it from our installed president that it's going to take a lot more than AR-15s to come against our F-15s, okay? This was the president of the United States. Fake one, yes, but nonetheless, the figurehead. My claim is that if you think the American people are going to be stopped because Big Brother is listening in on you, telling you what you can or cannot say or do, when Big Brother is robbing you of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, if you think that we are going to submit to the government, then you are simply not thinking like an American. Because when there is a will, there is a way. Militias are already organizing. Not They are not right-wing extremists. They are constitutional loyalists. Some say the Constitution still is the law of the land. Off-grid communication, by the way, is not at all impossible. And most importantly, never must we entrust the security of a free state to an ungodly, corrupt government. Isn't that the bottom line? Or we the people are sure to lose absolutely everything, which is exactly what our government, our federal government now is aiming to do. That is what they have in store for us if they have their way. So with that said, what I'd like to do is just get into a little discussion about this. And I hope that this will perk your thinking as Wallace and I just kind of discuss the topics and, uh, and just come out with ideas and thoughts and reactions to what each of us has said here. And we would like you to evaluate for yourselves in the end, what shall we do? 
what do you say, Wallace? It, it is uh, the Second Amendment truly something uh, that is now in our historical past? Can we remember it with fondness, or does it still have a purpose in the necessary security? Well, let me country? answer that over the entire Constitution rather than just the Second Amendment. The people that want to get rid of the Constitution, and that in their minds already have, they're smart. They don't come right out and say, I don't want a constitution. They don't say, I don't believe in the constitution. What they say is that the constitution is a living document that needs to say and does say whatever it needs to say at any given particular point in time. And that's independent of what it actually says in terms of the wording of the constitution. So for example, uh, if you want to give away, if you want to just write off people's student loans, of course you could do that because people don't want to have to pay their student loans back. And uh, the constitution doesn't really say anything on the subject. And even if it did, we don't really need to listen to the Constitution. We can just have the Supreme Court tell us what their interpretation is based upon a living document interpretation of the, of the Constitution, such that the Constitution is constantly changing with or without amendments based upon what the Supreme Court justices think it should say. When you do that, you know, that's, that's the exact same thing as saying we don't have a Constitution. What we have instead is like a British common law system where the courts are the Constitution and the courts can, can, can define the law however they wish, quite independently of what the law might actually say. And so then you look at that and you say, well, the Constitution, that isn't something that we need to worry about other than as we violate it, we need to find justifications for doing so that'll prevent anybody from getting too upset about it. So, for example, I look at the Second Amendment, and I could say that's a collective right of the citizenry as a whole. And as long as we have an army and a police force, we have the National Guard, as long as we're arming those groups, collectively, we the people are armed, even as no individual other than in those groups needs to be. So you just interpret it away by saying it's, it says something or means something other than what it actually says. The justification for that that they're using is simply calling it a living document. When they say it's a living document and not one structured with actual words, what they're really saying is we don't have to follow the Constitution. We can do whatever the hell we want. That's their belief. And so we have to wake up to the fact that these people aren't being real honest with us about their intent. Well, I agree with that. Uh, you know, you're, what you're saying is very similar to what I see in the world of Christianity, where some people will say, you know, the Bible contains truth. But, you know, uh, when you read any verse of scripture, you say, well, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to, to, to this person, to that person? And therefore, it means whatever you want it to say. And the Bible calls that tickling ears, uh, not making it say what God intended it to say. And I think that this is what you're saying, Wallace, about uh, the Constitution. When our founders wrote those words, they meant it to mean certain things in a very concrete way. And I think that we are fools to ignore the substance that was on the forefront of their minds when they wrote those words. And this is where I asked the question, um, should we really question their wisdom and actually just come out and say it as conservatives even, um, is the Second Amendment now obsolete because we are so advanced in our technology. We have so many people in America now. I mean, would it be a free-for-all fiasco if everybody were to suddenly take up arms against the government? So, you know, I, I think you're raising a great point about the states. But let me ask you, Wallace, how, how in the world can states oppose the federal government when we have 
50 different states, several of them on either side of the coast are as blue as can be. And we know that they will not ever oppose the federal government. They are pushing the uniparty agenda. How do we deal with that? 26 states could. It doesn't take 26 either. If Florida and, and Texas both did it, pretty big states, uh, you'd have to take notice to that. And I think that if Florida and Texas did it, uh, you would see other states joining in. You've got 26 states that are effectively run by Republicans, and uh, those 26 states can tell the federal government to you know, stay in its lane anytime they want to. And they can justify it with the Constitution. Uh, when the Supreme Court comes out and says, hey, nullification is unconstitutional, which the Supreme Court has done in the past and would do again, they can simply say, now, wait a minute here. According to the process of nullification, you don't have the, the you're not the final authority in what the Constitution says. You have a right to an opinion in what the Constitution says. And of course, you write opinions. But we, the states, have the right to an opinion on this also. And if you can't get us to agree that what you want to do is constitutional, maybe you shouldn't be doing that thing and you're not doing it here. You get enough states doing that, what you're going to create is a constitutional crisis, which can only be resolved either through conflict or compromise. And uh, we've seen in the past is that those constitutional compromises or constitutional conflicts have been dealt with through compromise. Uh, North Carolina, for example, in the uh, 1830s, uh, challenged uh, they challenged uh, a federal, uh, what do they call the taxes on excise goods in and out of the country, import and export tariffs. Uh, they challenged the law on that and said, this is unconstitutional. Well, the federal government, the president at the time, got all up in arms about it, threatened to invade North Carolina. But at the end of the day, they came up with a compromise bill. Congress passed it. North Carolina agreed that copy removed the unconstitutional provisions. And uh, they got along fine for another 30 years. So, okay. so it's happened before saying, successfully. Yeah. So what you're saying, was is that, yes, the individual states, if there's enough of them, could, in effect, overthrow the the whims of the federal government, which are unlawful, and we can do it peaceably. Is that what you're saying? I mean, we don't need the Second Amendment. Is that what I'm hearing? Or does somehow the Second Amendment play into this somehow? The Second Amendment absolutely plays into this because the federal government's got a much larger military than any of the 50 states or all of the 50 states combined. The National Guard of Florida can't fight the federal government. So if the federal government decided that it was going to invade Florida, unless Florida obeys what the federal government wants Florida to, to do or, or, or allows federal, uh, federal police agents to, to arrest people in Florida for things that Florida says the federal government can't enforce that here, uh, you know, at some point, it, we the people would have to support the state of Florida in making that determination. And, and that could require use of the Second Amendment if the federal government wanted to push it that far. That's one option the federal government simply has to take. It's unconstitutional to do, by the way. But one thing that the federal government can do, and it did it against, you know, it did it against the Confederacy, is take up arms and invade other states. And let's not forget, let's not forget, while several states did secede from the Union before the federal government raised an army, Virginia did not secede until after. So you can make a pretty good argument that at least some of the southern states would not have seceded had the federal government not declared the intent of invading the South. Okay, well, I like what I'm hearing here, because I would definitely agree that, yes, there is a purpose to the Second Amendment. I mean, the fact that we right now in the world are perhaps the only nation that is so armed. We have such a profound uh, weaponized citizenry that even any invading force uh, like the CCP, uh, they're going to have a battle against them. There's a lot of 
retired police officers, uh, retired military members, some of them that only served for a certain time, still very young, very able to fight. And I am of the mindset that they would absolutely fight their for their country with vigor if the homeland was attacked. But what we need to reconcile is that our homeland is under attack by a domestic enemy. And so the question is, what can we do to save our country right now? And where does the Second Amendment fit into that for the everyday citizen right now? What ought we to do? Well, I think we have to rally around whatever states decide to do the right thing in standing up to the federal government. And if the federal government wants to then uh, force those states or try to force those states to comply, then uh, you throw your rifle in the trunk, drive to that state and help them ward it off. Now, I don't think the Biden administration would have the balls to do that anyway. So I think we've got the perfect president in the White House right now to use nullification against. He talks a big game. He's not going to do anything. And if he does, just pay him off. Now, Florida could send him a couple, bill, a couple, uh, give him 10, 20 million dollars and he'll back right down because that's what he does. Uh, this is and it's not just Joe Biden. Everybody attacks the Biden family as being hopelessly corrupt. Let's understand that one of the reasons for the war in Ukraine, and we know this because of the FTX debacle, you know, that that when that organization went down, we found out what was actually happening over there. We're sending them money. We're sending them arms. Some of the money and all of the arms were being used to fight Russia, of course. But a lot of that money was then getting laundered back into the United States, going into the campaign coffers of Democrats, probably going into the hands of, of not just Democrats, but also Republicans. You mentioned the Uniparty. I think that they're greasing wheels all over the place. And that's one of the problems, right? You can't just vote Republicans into the federal government and expect them to change anything because they begin becoming corrupted literally as a part of the orientation process. Oh, definitely. And, and you could say the same thing about all the rhinos, and we have a good many of them. But what I am most encouraged about, uh, Wallace, is that we are seeing a few diehard, uh, I want to call them patriots. I don't want to even call them politicians, diehard patriots who happen to be in office who are doing the right thing. And right now we are seeing a lot of things exposed. We are doing our job in the way of exposing evil. But how, if we are not to take our country back by force with arms, that means shooting bullets against the federal government, how do we jump that great big gap from exposing the evil to finally prosecuting it, and particularly when we have a DOJ that is as corrupt as the rest of our federal government? Well, I think one way you do it is, is, is through tax law. What would happen if Florida said until the federal government stays within its lane in terms of how it uses tax dollars, it will be illegal for Florida residents to pay taxes to the federal government? Okay. Do so that in 10 a, states. Yeah, yeah, there is a way to do it, and I, I like that. Well, listen, we are going to take a short break and come right back at it. Don't go away. The silent majority has spoken. We say, let the silent voices be heard. You can be the voice of change. Contact our producer at libertyatamericaoutloud.com. Libertyatamericaoutloud.com. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula 
with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. If you're like me, you'd like life to return to some kind of normal. You're burned out on all the fear-mongering, but deep down you try and minimize viral exposure and your risk of getting sick. You've heard it talked about time and again by respected medical professionals. Use a pulvinone iodine nasal solution. I don't need to tell you just how powerful a nasal cleansing formula with xylitol, pulvinone iodine, and vitamin D3 for immune support could be. In fact, my attorney told me not to tell you. Google it and find out for yourself. Now, get yourself a bottle of American-made Cofix RX nasal solution. Let's get out and live again. CofixRx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com. Use coupon code OUTLOUD and get 20% off. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. AmericaOutloud.com, seven amazing years. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. Welcome back back to Malcolm at Eight, the voice of a nation. This is Dr. Steve LaTulip, and with me is my cohort, who is very knowledgeable in history. Wallace Garneau is his name, and he's an incredible thinker. He is a deep thinker and very much a patriot. Today, we are simply talking about uh, things that pertain to the Second Amendment and beyond. But before that, let's remember that you can access all the articles, all the podcasts, great information at americaoutloud.news. And then please go to americaoutloud.shop and use the Outloud code 
for the discounts uh, that you can receive in obtaining health products and new innovations that can benefit your life in really good ways. I thank you for joining us today. And we are now trying to decide if the Second Amendment is really significant or is it just vintage memorabilia? Do we have a cause, a purpose for the very words of the Second Amendment? Or have our founding fathers somehow missed the sense of what is really important to preserve a free republic? Because as Wallace said, we no longer are a free republic. We have an installed president. I firmly believe the election was stolen. It was manipulated. It was taken from us. And so was the 2022 election. And the question is, what will happen in 2024? So, Wallace, can I ask you this? What exactly are we as a people, as a nation, going to do if they were to steal the 2024 election? What comes well, then? We'd have to know they stole it, and that's really the hard part. We certainly believe that they stole it in 2020, but try proving it. Now, Time Magazine says that they did all kinds of interference in terms of uh, suppressing information, censorship, all of that stuff. But is that enough for the American people to rise up and say enough is enough? I don't know that it is. When you talk about the Second Amendment, I think one thing that often gets overlooked about the Second Amendment, though, is that uh, some of the things that are on the horizon, according to the World Economic Forum, the United Nations, uh, all of these different things, uh, some of the stuff that's on the agenda will require an unarmed populace. And uh, that means that at some point, if we're going to implement those things, we will have to disarm our population. I wrote a very unpopular article uh, a few months ago in which I asked the question, if we're going to raise a country of nothing but narcissistic little brats, do you really want those people to have guns? Because, I mean, we are going to implode into, into a very, very chaotic country if we don't just start being smart again as a nation, teaching civics instead of teaching anti-Americanism, for example. We don't necessarily have to be Christians, but we certainly have to have Christian values. And we have to have a shared sense of culture and a shared sense of moral purpose that we don't have now. So I look at the Second Amendment and I think at some point, if they want to go where they seem to want to go, they're going to be forced to disarm the population. And that will be a catalytic event. That'll be a catalyst. That will be the spark that sets things into, into motion. Okay, but now wait a minute. Aren't they already doing everything they can to disarm us? I mean, look at what's happened just in the last in some few states. years. But the, okay. the, the Supreme Court so far has been able to act as a, it largely as a bulwark against that so far. They stay in office long enough, though, they'll change that even if they don't expand the Supreme Court. People just don't live forever. They will put in Supreme Court justices that will allow them to disarm the public. That's the just a matter of time. Right. Well, the question is, are we going to comply if that is the case? Because if we have not learned the lesson of what has happened to every country that has been disarmed, um, we are a very naive people. And I would go for as far to say that perhaps we do not deserve our freedom. I mean, just look at England, look at Europe, look at Australia right now. Keep in mind, Stephen, too, that the younger somebody is in the country today, the more apt they are to want the government to do unconstitutional things, and the more they are apt to want the security of believing there aren't any guns over the security of the right to bear arms. So even today, 
the vast majority of military age people in this country do not support the Second Amendment. And as those people go from 20 to 40 years of age, 40 to 60 years of age, those who would have the willingness to overthrow the government or even to support a state nullifying illegal federal laws, those people are just going to get older and older and older. So time is entirely not on our side. If, if, if the bad guys want to win, all they have to do is run out the clock. And I think they know that. Well, uh, possibly. Okay. So we know exactly that is the reason why they are trying to destroy a generation of our children. Sexually Multiple generations. Them, yeah. Sexually confuse them. Tell them that every patriot is a loser, that we are radicals, extremists, and so forth. But let me tell you, the tide can change again. We can raise up just as easily a new generation of patriots as they can raise up in their hopes uh, a, a group of losers, absolute losers who want to be followers, sheep who want to be led to the slaughter. But let me tell you this. History has shown, has it not, many times, many times that when the treatment gets bad enough and when the government promises you the gold at the end of the rainbow and all you end up getting is coal, then finally people start to change their views. And that can happen too. Can it not? Well, it can. But I think, again, in, in order for us to be able to, to do that, we have to get younger audiences listening to these messages. And uh, I, that's a difficult nut to crack. No, we're not going to be on TikTok. We're not going to be where, where the young people are, generally speaking. That's that's not where, where we're able to advertise because uh, what we need is what we need is for our audience, the people listening to this message right now, not just to call their friends and say, you know, you should listen to this message. Have your kids listen to this message. Have your grandkids listen to this message. Have them bring it up with their friends. We need to get the word out to a younger audience to have exactly what you're talking about happen. Because as long as we're preaching to the choir, this isn't going anywhere. Exactly right. Now, um, let me just argue for the sake of argument that a younger generation, at least some slice of the younger generation pie, is siding with us. They yep. are saying, you know, I am pro Second Amendment. But do you think these people really are just blowing smoke when they say I'm pro Second Amendment? Or do they understand what they're saying? Well, I think it's a mixture of different things. I don't think that's uh, when, you're, when you're talking about millions of people, it's hard to just just have one cause. What I would say, though, is that uh, one of the things I take a great deal of heart in uh, are two statistics. One is that 25% roughly of people under the age of 40 believe that free markets are better than socialism. Uh, the other three-fourths prefer socialism to free markets, by the way. But only one-fourth of the people in the same age group can define what socialism is. So I look at that and I think, you know, I've got a sneaky suspicion that the one-fourth of young people that can define socialism are also the one-fourth of young people that want absolutely nothing to do with it. Well, maybe, uh, but I can tell you personally, uh, as my daughter was very involved in uh, Kerry Lake's uh, campaign running for governor of Arizona, I saw a whole bunch of young people and uh, who were actually, you know, for Kerry Lake, for supporting the Constitution with everything that that means. So I was very encouraged by that. And let's also remember that almost one in two homes in America uh, consists of gun owners. So there is at least some hope. But let's ask the other question right now, you know, based on Title 32 of the U.S. Code, Section 109, Subsection C, provides for state defense forces. 
Um, and so, and right now we have 23 states that have state defense forces, but they are underfunded. They're not well regulated. It's kind of like 1776, to be honest with you. Although back then we had no federal military force. But let me ask you, is it possible, Wallace, to actually, is it possible to organize a well-regulated militia like our founders told us to do? States can do it. Incidentally, there was a federal government in 1776. It was called the British. Well, there was. And there was a very small federal army in the United States, but I think it consisted of like 2,000 members. Uh, by far, the militia um, it, the were a strong force in this whole thing, the Continental Army. The Minutemen played a small part of it in certain parts of the East, New England. Um, but the Continental Army, the British would have said was uncon was 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 illegal. The British would never they, they never endorsed the Continental Army. That was something right, that was right. raised but it's a against point their to wishes. Us. Yeah, right. It, but doesn't it make the point that hey, at some point in time, we need to take the bull by the horns, take control of the situation, and say, look, we don't like the shackles that they are trying to place around our ankles, and we're going to do something about it. Right. Well, if we did it at a if, if we did it at a national level, there wouldn't really be any front lines. There wouldn't really no. This we're we're not talking about states against diff others. To a certain degree, it is a little bit of state against state, but more, much more than that, it's it's countries against it's, it's areas. Some of the suburbs and and areas that are out in the country against the cities. But we have as a country of 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 consumers in the cities and producers that are in the suburbs or in the country. They don't grow a lot of food in the city, for example, and as a consequence. What we've been doing is we have been subsidizing, we've been taxing production to subsidize consumption. And as you know, if I subsidize consumption, I'm going to get far more of it. And if I tax production, I'm going to get far less of it. So we are de-incentivizing the production of the very things that we are incentivizing the consumption of. And as long as the people in the city think that it's perfectly fine, to, they just want free stuff. Now, who doesn't want free stuff? You know, I come into your house and I say, I'll tell you what, I'll pay for your groceries for you. How's that sound? You just say, well, that sounds right. great. That's what kids are hearing. They're hearing, right. I'm going to pay for your college. I'm going to pay for your health care. I'm going to pay for this. I'm going to pay for that. What they're not hearing is that uh, next time you go to the record store to buy a record, it's going to cost 130 bucks to pay for all of that, quote, free stuff, because it's not free. And the rich right. people don't really have enough money. You can't just take it and pay for it because they don't have enough. And the more you tax them, the less they produce anyway. So they, the, the whole thing's going to come crashing down. Everybody knows it's going to come crashing down. But we still have a ton of people that as long as you say the word free, their eyes glass over, and, and somehow they think the gravy train's going to go on forever. It's not going to pertain to them. It's not going to hurt them. Well, and, you and know, I, How do you I wake think... them up? Yeah, I think they're already starting to see it, though. I mean, how many people in their 30s are still living with their parents because they simply don't have the means of getting their own home, securing their own land? You know, the pursuit of land, the pursuit of happiness is that world is becoming ever more narrow, particularly with Biden's inflation. Uh, and it hasn't topped off by any means. We are yet to face the worst. And that also in itself will produce a hardship, but it also will inspire some of these younger people to say, hey, you know what? I need to start standing up on my own two feet, making it on my own and becoming more independent of government. And, you know, that is what I am hoping will change the hearts and minds of the younger generation. Well, that's 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 really where, what it comes down to. This is where the 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 interesting crossbreed of what is a conservative truly comes into play. 
you know, when we think of conservatives, we tend to think of two different groups. Uh, I'm going to say small L libertarians, because I think that the large L libertarians are a bunch of whack jobs. But small L libertarians, people who believe in, in the Constitution and believe in a limited government that stays within it, we'll, we'll, we'll say that. Uh, and then the other group we tend to think of are Christian conservatives. I think we both are Christian conservatives, at least in our own lives. The problem with that is that a lot of Christian conservatives, they may be conservative economically, but or they may be liberal rather economically in terms of wanting the individual people to have power over their own purse, but they're not very liberal when it comes. And I mean, I mean, old school liberal, like, uh, like libertarianism, they're not very liberal when it comes to allowing people to make their own decisions and how they want to live their lives. If they want to live their lives in a way that doesn't follow Christian norms. And I, I think we have to, uh, if, if we're going to attract young people, for example, you know, I may think that it's that, that, that being homosexual is a sin, but that doesn't mean I want to tell somebody they can't do that, because I think in a free country, you have the right to, to live with who you want to and what have you. Yeah, I think it, as long as it's just two consenting adults, you know, it's none of my business. I may not like it. I may not think it's moral. But if that's how somebody wants to live, it's none of my business. And I think we have to kind of have a return to that, that we have the right to live our lives however we wish, and we can do that with consent conservative values, and they have to respect us in doing so because it's our right. But I think we also have to be accommodating to those that want to live their lives as they see fit. And I think that if we can't do that, if we can't bridge that gap and, and be, be consistent in, in terms of like a small L libertarian mindset and a constitutional government that stays in its bounds, uh, I, 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 we, we kind of step on our own feet. Okay, so, you know, you're raising a couple issues here, and I think that you're inadvertently, without even realizing it, exposing a big problem here. When you talk about Christianity, uh, you know, it raises the question, must we be a Christian nation to survive? And if we ask the founding fathers that question, I think we would get a very different answer from them than what we would get right now, because what we are calling Christianity in America today is a far cry from what it was and former times when people were actually biblically illiterate, because if you say, oh, yeah, you know, um, you know, we have to tolerate uh, all the whatever people want to do behind closed doors, we got to tolerate it, accept it. It's OK if it's behind your closed doors. But that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says Christians are to be the salt and the light of the earth. We are to influence others. And it was that influence of Jesus Christ and of his words and all of the words of God in the Bible that shaped America. And in fact, that is the crux is what uh, of what Alexis uh, de Tocqueville was stating as he was evaluating this great um, experiment in liberty in America. What, right? Well, I mean, so Let's let's look at that, though. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be Christians. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. As a matter of fact, I said earlier in the show that I think it's very important that America still subscribe to yes, you Christian did, moral and I, virtues. And I noted that. Yeah, right. yeah. So my, my, my question here is, do we need the force of law to do that? Is it something that the government should be doing by force of law? Should we, for example, arrest homosexuals? There's nothing wrong with saying homosexuality is a sin. It says it very clearly in the Bible, both the Old and New Testaments, multiple times. As a matter of fact, the, the, the Bible calls singles it out in the Old Testament, it doesn't just call it a sin. It calls it a sin against God. And that is the only sin that it uses that phrasing for. So unquestionably, that would be considered a sin. But that doesn't mean it should necessarily be illegal. It just right. means and that as a, as a free people, as a free Christian people, we should be voicing our concerns about it. And, and we can do that without force of law. 
So we well, people yes, can be free, the same, we can still be Christians. Okay, but at the same time, you know, a lot of people make that that little quip, that claim that you cannot legislate morality. Now that's a bunch of baloney. Because well, they we sure try. What's but they're trying. They're, they're trying. But what we have right now is a system, and this is completely untenable. We have a system where, as a country, we're trying to make uh, we're trying to make a tolerance for immorality the only moral virtue. And so, what we're seeing are attacks by government on those that are trying to live a good Christian life for trying to yes. live a good Christian life. Oh, you have to big cake. You know all of these different things. We're trying to. You know, we're, we're, it's a hate crime now if you don't like somebody. You, know, you don't even have to do anything. Just you don't like somebody. It's now a hate crime. So we're, we're almost criminalizing Christian morality. And, and that takes force of law, too. So we shouldn't be doing that. It should be perfectly. If you want to live a Christian life, you want to do it vocally, you want to evangelize. You have every right to do that. And you should be doing that. And, uh, and that's what they're trying to take away. So you know, anybody who says you can't mandate morality, that's exactly what they're trying to do. Exactly right. And when, when they tell us as Christians that we need to be more tolerant, these are the very people who will send us to our death as Christians for our faith. So there comes a point in time where we have to say, okay, I will be tolerant of the Muslim, the Buddhist, the whomever, as long as you don't force, forcefully impose your values or lack of values on me, because what happens if you do that, then we get to where we are right now, where our children are being subjected to pornography, uh, you know, extreme to the extreme in schools. And we have the sex trafficking that is endorsed, fully endorsed by our federal government right now, the CIA, the FBI is in on it. I mean, look at where we have come because of tolerance and tolerance only goes so far because that can be used as another weapon against freedom itself. And particularly when you understand that freedom is a gift from God. I believe that the only real purpose of a government, there may, there may be smaller. I believe that the primary purpose of government, and some would say the only purpose of government is to protect and preserve the liberty of the people. And that includes the liberty of the people not to like what other people are doing and, and potentially to say they don't like what other people are doing. So you know, as long as you don't infringe upon my right to live my life however I wish, I don't want to infringe upon your right to do that. But you don't have the right to make me agree with you, and you don't have the right to make me shut up. You don't have the right to make me pretend. If the dude wants to wear a dress, knock yourself out. I think you look silly, but wear a dress. I don't have to then turn around and say I think you're a woman because I don't. Okay, I'll buy that. I, I'm with you on that. And I think that, you know, there's a, a balancing line there that we have. And that is, I guess, why we have a balance between the powers, because uh, ultimately, every living human being wants to live his life freely. Yes. As long as we don't hurt anyone else. Yes. So, uh, Wallace, um, just a quick question. We've got to wrap it up here in a few minutes. Um, let me just ask you the big question. Can we save our country? Do you believe it will happen? And if so, how are we going to do it? I think we can save our country. I give us maybe a 50-50 chance of doing it. I think that, uh, as I said, the demographics right now are working against us. We have to find a way to get a younger audience. Uh, and I think that we do it, one, by spreading our message with, of course, uh, now a government working against us and social media. Sensory. Good luck finding this on Facebook, for example. Uh, right. and, and so, yeah, I, I think we can. And I think that the way that we do it is by talking to I, th I think we have to talk Republican governors and Republican attorney generals. 
to to nullify unconstitutional federal actions and laws, to prevent federal officials from enforcing unconstitutional actions and laws within their states, to create those constitutional crises, to do it very, very aggressively, and then we have to support them in doing that. And if that means utilizing our Second Amendment rights to protect those states, then so be it. But okay. I think it's I think that's how you do it is by getting is by getting states to to return to their constitutional role in a federalist system. Our states have dropped the have completely dropped the ball. Absolutely. Well, there you have it, folks. The question is, is the Second Amendment just vintage memorabilia, something uh, for us to reflect upon with warmth in our hearts, or is it a necessary security? I would suggest the latter. If the Second Amendment were to be taken from us, if they were to disarm us, it would be Khmer Rouge times 10, maybe times 100. But let's remember this. However we do it, we must take down the evil, lawless Biden regime. That is our duty as American citizens. That is our duty as Christians living in a free America. And what we do, we must do quickly. We haven't time to waste with the way things are going. So with that, I leave you some food for thought. Hopefully, we have incentivized you to become an active participant in your country. And we simply ask this, please do your best, do it for God, and do it now because it's time to get involved and get loud america